0: Welcome to Health Outlook, a podcast and interview series focused on helping pre-health students who understand various fields within the world of healthcare. I am your host, Anir Medali, and I am a sophomore at the University of Michigan studying neuroscience and pursuing a career in medicine. My academic interests include neurology, oncology, biomechanics, and sports physiology. Each episode, I interview pre-health students, health professionals, and anyone else doing meaningful work or service in healthcare. My goals for this podcast is to help those like me in their pre-health journey to understand the many possible paths we may take to creating a better world around us, as well as improving healthcare on an individual level. This episode features an enriching discussion with the Rowan University School of Osteopathic Medicine student, Ali Tahir. Ali is a fourth-year student pursuing internal medicine. He's also the co-founder of Breakthrough Mentoring, a pre-med and medical student mentorship network. Personally, it was great to catch up with Ali because we actually know each other from a few years ago. He was one of my tutors for AP Chem and Bio at a local academy. Now he's close to entering residency and I'm in the middle of my pre-med journey. So it was great to pick his brain about common pre-med concerns as well as getting his take on some life lessons. I believe many people will benefit from our discussion of his decision to pursue a major in Rutgers Business School as opposed to a traditional science-based major, his initial struggles switching from business to pre-med, and making up the lost time through his experiences and structuring of classes, his grounded advice about MCAT prep, which I found very insightful since it's coming up in my future. We also discussed the differences between MD and DO schools, not only in their education, but other aspects of the medical journey that students may not be exposed to from traditional pre-med tracks, which usually emphasize MD schools. My favorite parts of this episode were when we discussed why he de- he decided to go directly into medical school despite admitting he didn't have as much clinical experience as his peers who were pre-med from the start, as well as his explanation of internal medicine and why there is an increasing of increasing number of medical students opting for this field of medicine. This is a very entertaining and informative conversation. I believe any aspiring physician, whether you're in high school, college, or even further in the process, will be able to take something away from what Ali gave and as well as the questions that I threw, threw at him throughout the process. I hope you enjoy, and let's dive right into my conversation with Ali Tahir. Welcome to the podcast. First off, thank you so much, Ali, for sitting down with me and discussing your story. I think a lot of people around my age will be interested in our conversation because, um, obviously, I want to talk about your undergrad at Rutgers, your time uh, at Rowan, or currently, um, your time at Rowan in the DO school. Uh, to start, I'd like to give you the chance to introduce yourself to the listeners. Yeah,
1: of course. Uh, first, uh, thanks for inviting me. I'm happy to be here. Uh, just, I guess, quick introduction. Uh, I'm, I'm a fourth year medical student at Rowan University. So that's in South Jersey. Uh, applying to internal medicine, the cycle's still going on. Um, went to Rutgers for, uh, I went to the Rutgers Business School and graduated with a supply chain management degree.
0: Okay, so uh, that actually is a great Um, introduction because I want to start off by talking about your time at Rutgers. So could you talk to me about how you decided on a major in the business school? Uh, Coming into undergrad, were you interested in medicine or were you leaning towards business?
1: Uh, Long story. Uh, I actually went into undergrad thinking I was not going to do medicine. I think it was probably closer to the bottom of my list. Uh, Mainly, I guess, from experience with high school science courses and for some reason I kind of figured that would be what more medicine was about um so I went to the Rutgers Business School because I was I was interested in doing that in the beginning um and then about a year in I guess uh after freshman year beginning of sophomore year I'd done like an internship over the summer uh was starting some of the more I guess advanced quote-unquote uh business classes and I kind of realized it's not like I didn't mind it um but I felt like there was something else I could be doing I felt like it would be more Fulfilling. Uh, I know that sounds kind of cliche, Mm -hmm. but for lack of a better word, I guess, fulfilling. So I kind of explored a lot of different things. I took uh, computer science for a semester. I took some advanced statistics courses. um, And then I remember I was talking to a bunch of like, you know, pre-med friends and medical school friends. um, And I was like, you know what, maybe, maybe let's give medicine a fair shot. So um, I remember I signed up for physics one my sophomore year spring semester, and that was the first science class I had signed up for. Where, like I wasn't, I didn't take bio yet. I had AP out of chem, so I didn't take that, um, which is usually not the first science course everyone takes. And mm-hmm. at the same time, I was like, I should you know, shadow physicians, um, talk to like actual doctors and see what they think. Um, and during those shadowing experiences, I kind of, was, was kind of like, you know, I really liked the day-to-day, like the application of what we were learning. And there was a lot of variety in it and the, and the content itself seems like very um, fun to learn. I realized there were kind of two components to, to like deciding on a career, right? There was one that's, do you enjoy what you're learning and you wanna learn more? And two, would you enjoy the job itself uh, like every day?
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: some things I like for computer science, I thought the application of what you can do with it is very cool. Taking the classes, I was like, I don't really wanna study this all the time. <laughs> but, um, kind of similar things with business. I was like, you know, the classes are kind of okay I guess in the real world, there's a lot of cool things you could do. Um, but it wasn't like, the, again, the most fulfilling in a sense. But I thought the medicine kind of had had both. I had a lot of variety and I kind of would have liked what I do as a doctor and physician. And the human physiology stuff was also interesting to me. So I felt like that was a perfect blend. Um, mm. And I kind of just stuck with the business school stuff uh, and then uh, did pre-med on top of that.
0: Why did you decide to stick with the business major despite knowing that pre-med was in your future?
1: Efficiency, I guess is the best way to put it. Uh, I didn't really wanna restart the whole college career from from scratch, find a new science major and then um, graduate, I guess a year, maybe two two later. So Mm -hmm. I ended up doing like 150 credits within my four years. I kind of like stacked up on both. Uh, And then I figured, you know, it's a pretty good backup option if I don't end up getting into medical school. Uh, In hindsight, I actually, uh, think I made the right choice. I think having that more diverse background uh, ends up being more beneficial long term. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of th- I'm kind of thankful I went that route. But at that time, it was more of a short term vision in terms of I can graduate in four years if I do this. I don't have to restart. And if I don't get in, I still have a good backup career to go into.
0: Interesting. Did you have a clear idea um, once you realized? Okay, it's business and pre med that you would end up going on that traditional, I guess, four plus four path? Or were you exposed to other professions like um, health consulting or you know, something along, something that bridges the gap between business and healthcare? Because personally speaking, um, I'm also interested in business um, as, you know, as a associate for a consulting club, you know, sometimes I find ways that I look out and I'm like, oh, so healthcare isn't like the direct, um, only like the only direct, uh, I guess, opportunity or path for me. There are uh, other ways. Were you ever exposed to that? Or did you always just kind of say, "Okay, um, if I don't get into med school, then I'll figure out what I can do in business?
1: So that's that's definitely a good question. That was definitely something I was considering. Um, I knew at the core of what I wanted to do. I wanted to work with patients and kind of do like the day-to-day stuff that a physician would do. So that's kind of why Mm -hmm. I stuck with pre-med in the beginning. but did I consider healthcare consulting or other healthcare-related fields? I did, uh, but I figured those would be more of a backup option because, again, I did want to work in a hospital or a clinic or the OR or whatever I ended up deciding in. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think if that had not gone through or had not gone in, uh, gotten in, then that's definitely a path I would have trying to redirected my business background into a healthcare setting.
0: Did you um, keep in the back of your mind that if you didn't get into med school, then there might be you know business school or grad school or something like that. Or were you fixated on even if I don't get into med school, like this cycle, it would be you know maybe doing some shadowing or something for a year and then applying again.
1: I think I kind of put that in the back burner in the sense that you know let me try it, uh, let me give it what I what I have uh, the first time around. If I don't get in. I kind of see what I need to fix, which I uh, my guess would have been lack of clinical experience, mm. um, and reassess from there. But I hadn't thought too far long term uh, in that sense. I figured, you know, once once I know again, I'll find out why, uh, and if it's something that's easy to fix, then maybe I'll try it again. If it's uh, something I I felt like. Um, not really on my horizon. Then I would have changed paths. Uh, I, th- I, f- I felt like also like as I worked for a year, assu- assuming let's say I didn't get in, worst case, right? Mm-hmm. I probably would have had to work as a job. Um, and if I got a job in a healthcare related field, and let's say I loved it, I probably would have stuck around there. Mm-hmm. Uh, like thinking hypothetically. Um, yeah, but at the time I was kind of more of like, let me give it my all at this point, and I'll figure it out later.
0: Yeah, no, I think that definitely is a good point because um, I feel like in pre-med it's everything is so um i guess like it's so hard to get into med school or like you know admission statistics Mm -hmm. are um very low right so when it comes to i guess planning you have to kind of give it all your all but at the same time you you definitely want to think about what else right because um in the worst case scenario what are you going to do in that year between you know applying again or you know, maybe even not going to med school, or whatever the case may be for an individual. So I always like asking that question because uh, I wanna see what people are really thinking as they're going through a stage like mine, where it's like, I I obviously have a clear um, notion of applying to med school, but at the same time, during the pandemic, you know, like you said, um, there's a significant lack of clinical experiences for most of the um, pre-meds my age. So I think that's like definitely a concern. Uh, but yeah, d- thanks for um, that advice.
1: Yeah, Howard I think, Dean.
0: Sorry, go ahead.
1: Yeah, just got one more thing to say for that. I remember when I did switch into pre-med, I had a, I guess another pre-med friend who told me to just, you know, drop business and go all in. He was like, "There's if you go 50/50, you're not gonna be able to, you know, put your all in mentally." Mm-hmm. Um, I think I kind of, I think a lot of premates kind of had that mentality, uh, kind of like you were you were talking about. I kind of think you. The smart thing to do is have a redundancy plan in place, uh, like you said, med school is hard to get into. Not everybody uh, makes it in. I remember reading like the amount of pre health students that that start off as freshmen versus the amount of seats that are even available by the time they graduate. Yeah, is like less than ten percent. Um, mm-hmm. So I think I think it's totally fair to give everything, give it your all. Um, and obviously, don't try to hold back. But I think it's smart to also have a backup plan just in case. What would you do during, during your gap year? Is there any other field that you would you wouldn't mind working for a couple of years before you reapply? Things like that. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that, that's smart to say. Uh, and I wouldn't. I don't know how much you want me to go into uh, like careers and stuff, but I think I think a lot of there's a lot of potential opportunity to take a major that's not your traditional biology, chemistry, neuroscience. Um, and I think that kind of gives you a more well-rounded approach to medicine and let's, and gives you a backup at the same time. Um, Cause healthcare, just like every other field has business components, technology components, public health components, um, politic components, law components, everything's it, healthcare has that all. It's mm-hmm. not just being a doctor. Definitely. So I, I remember, I know when I talked to some pre-meds and they asked me like, you know, what, what major should I pick? Um, it's always just, you know, Pick whatever's interesting to you because mm-hmm. we all kind of equ- equ- equilibriize, I guess is the word, <laughs> during medical school. You kind of Your foundations will all be the same by the time you walk out. You're going to be mm-hmm. at the same level. Um, if you do really like biology, you do really love look, neuroscience, go for it 100%. If you're picking it just because it's a science major and you want it, you think it makes you look better, I would kind of disagree in that notion.
0: Yeah, um, I, think, I think that's a great point. Personally, I, I think initially I did fall into that trap um, of like, uh, you know, picking a major that is conventionally a pre-med major. Uh, I'm a neuroscience major. And, uh, you know, I, I have aspirations of becoming a neurologist or going into something neuro or, you know, um, you know something related to cognitive science, something like that. Um, but personally, I feel like there's also that aspect of how can you align your pre-med classes as close to something that you still have to finish as a major, right? Because that then you can open up time for you know, extracurricular shadding, whatever the case may be. Um, Looking back, though, I do, I do, um, sometimes when I'm planning ahead for my classes, I see that the neuroscience major is essentially just pre-med classes with, like, two or three more classes, so I think, you know, looking back, um, maybe I I would have, you know, maybe liked it better if I uh, perhaps pursued, like, a business degree or something like that, uh, which is why I'm trying to make that, make up for that by pursuing a minor now, and I think that's, like, that's the best way of kind of uh, finding your passion uh, while still doing whatever is necessary um, in the meantime. How were yeah. the initial stages of being a pre-med student?
1: That was like, kind of rough because uh, science classes are much different than business courses. Mm-hmm. you are not learning management theory or accounting. You're learning like physics and magnetism or like plant biology and uh like uh, organic chemistry and like glucose pathways, and I was like, "This is, this is very different. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The way you study for that is is different, and the way that you apply it is different. The tests are different." Um, so that transition was a little bit. Well, I, I guess I could say I kind of expected it to be that way. I was I wasn't gonna I wasn't like waltzing in thinking that you know this is gonna be a breeze, uh, and I kind of knew because I had pre my friends. I kind of knew what to expect, but uh, it it was definitely different. I would say that. Mm-hmm.
0: And I also think that, like, you went to Montgomery, right? And, uh, yeah. um, you know, as a fellow Montgomery student, I feel like our high school was, like, competitive enough to mm-hmm. kind of, like, prepare us um, for... To, and I don't want to say prepare us for the classes themselves, but to prepare us to estimate, like, what what may be... Right. Um, what may be um, up for us in those classes. So I think I definitely experienced that, because, <clears throat> like you, I... AP'd out of uh, chemistry gen chem so I jumped right into Orgo and it it was it was definitely like a a learning curve and Mm -hmm. I think I had that I had that um similar experience where I was like oh okay I mean it's definitely not the same as you know high school or in your case business classes uh did anything stand out in your experiences or um you know was there one specific class that you're like man I don't know and then you might have um, had some initial doubts
1: um you mean experiences as into, uh, in classes like being wanted to switch out again?
0: Yeah like maybe something that just some tests or some uh, semester.
1: Honestly I don't think so. Um, I mean Orgo was hard um, and it was tough but that was expected and I kind of knew it was going to be kind of the hardest class we were going to take. Uh, I guess that depends on the school but at least at Rutgers, it was kind of considered that weed, of course, for a lot of pre yeah. Um But I don't remember a hard moment or a specific moment after a test um, that I was like, you know, maybe, maybe not. Uh, that's not to say like I rocked every exam or anything like that. Like they were still they were still rough exams, but mm-hmm. I don't think any of them were enough to sh- to shake me enough to be like, let me back off. Because because again, my mindset was let me do what I can, the best that I can. Uh, and again, if I don't get in. Have a very viable backup option,
2: hmm.
1: um, so maybe that's a little bit different um, from your traditional pre med student. But I don't, I don't think I had any of those moments.
0: Yeah, um, You're definitely. Uh, I mean, um, obviously, you want to uh, further your career, but in sen- in the sense of like your experiences and what you're doing outside of pre-med you were kind of playing with house money because you're like okay even if it doesn't pan out I still got you know like a bad, yeah. significant backup plan and I got time to go back and I really I really um, admire your decision making whether you deliberately made that uh, decision or you just kind of you know the, everything just fell into place uh, but I, I really like the way that you uh, plan that out How did you find the, (laughs) how did you find the balance between like those initial, you know, pre-med classes as well as business classes? Like you talked about how uh, it was definitely a different learning Mm -hmm. um, experience, but how did you go about, I guess, studying? Because obviously something like accounting or management theory is a lot different from orgo or physics.
1: Right. So I, I'm a very big schedule planner. I guess type of person I don't know I don't know when that happened because it was not in high school but sometime in college, <laughs> I decided I need to lay everything out and kind of put things visualize them so I know what to do so I had my own little excel sheet like these are my pre-med classes I got to take this is the potential time that I got to take my MCAT if I want to be on cycle without a gap year and these are my business courses that I have left remaining and these are my SAS uh uh, for, for Rutgers, they had schools of arts and sciences course that we had to complete. So these mm-hmm. are the core classes I still need to complete. Like distribution, and, distribution requirements. Yeah, it was like uh, humanities yeah, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So um, I had that laid out, and I kind of scheduled it in a sense where I would finish all my science courses by the time I wanted to take the MCAT in any of these potentially hard business classes the ones that people are usually worried about i was going to push into senior year so i could Mm -hmm. do those while i was applying because i wasn't have the stress about orgo or mcat um, which would make my senior i guess like more stressful than the average you know Mm -hmm. senior but that's fine because that way i was still able to again put my all into that first application cycle so i kind of scheduled it that way and I tried to double up on my course as much as I could. So like once I covered like three requirements, I'd be like, all right, I guess we're going to take that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it was a lot of just planning and making sure I wasn't taking too many hard classes at once and that my hard, my my dense business classes were going to be when I finished physics, orgo, whatever else I was taking, uh, and MCAT. Interesting,
0: okay. Yeah, I I have a similar way of doing that in the sense that I list out everything that I need to take, um, but I guess um, my, uh, I have a specific question about yeah. how you structured like your classes towards the end of your college career. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to those harder cl- uh, business classes, um, in my case, you know, I'm putting off some of those harder like. For example, I'm not really planning to take genetics before the MCAT or you know before my application mm. cycle because that's one of the harder neuroscience classes or even pre-med, uh, not pre-med, but like science classes in general. Um, so I was planning to put it for my senior year. And I guess uh, I'd like to ask you, um, doesn't really matter if you're taking it in your f- fall semester or well, I guess in your case, it'd be spring semester, but for us it's the winter semester. Um, how much of that last year really matters when it comes to applying?
1: Oh, good question. Also, first, I wasn't I, I don't mean anyone to take it the wrong way. I wasn't like calling out majors when I said, oh, don't like you don't have to be a neuroscience. Yeah. just making that clear. I don't want them to be like, oh, that was my major. <laughs> uh, but yeah, for your question in regards to how much does it matter? Fall semester, I think, mattered um, for me in particular, because mm-hmm. I know that some of the schools were like, um, wait, so I remember there was a medical school that I was that was kind of like a reach program for me mm-hmm. and I was talking to the dean and they were like oh what are you taking during the fall and I was like oh you know I'm taking all these like advanced courses and I'm finished up labs and it's going to be like 18 credits or something like that and he was like all right do the semester and send me an update with what your GPA is going to be that semester and I was like oh okay another <laughs> semester I need to make sure I try and get a 4.0 um, so in that sense for me fall was something that I was like all right I got to I gotta keep on my game and make sure everything is on point. Spring semester didn't really matter as much because I had gotten accepted by December, if I'm not mistaken. I think December was when my my med school acceptance came in. Um, doesn't mean I like didn't do anything, but that pressure wasn't there. Um, mm-hmm. I think if you're applying, you still wanna you still wanna do what you can during fall and spring semester in the worst case scenario, you don't get in that cycle, that GPA is still going to matter.
0: Definitely.
1: Um, Because you don't want to be like that kid who had like a 3.8 or whatever, it's considered like a great GPA. And then that senior year, you got like below a 3.5. And then when you're applying, they're going to see that, they're going to see that drop and that's not going to look good. Mm -hmm. Um, But once once you're in, I think the consensus uh, mentality is as long as you're decent enough, it's not an issue. And it's more at that point of uh, learning for for fun, per se, or learning for your own education. Um, I'm not gonna tell people to like slack off during their senior yeah. year, I don't know if I should be giving that advice, but I don't. I think that pressure leaves once you're in. Mm. Yeah, um, and the reason know. why, I guess like
0: a good follow-up question is, personally, I um, came in with a lot of credits and everything. So mm. um, definitely a little more um, ahead than maybe a traditional pre-med student. And because mm. of that, uh, I've, had, you know, I've thought about perhaps uh, finishing a semester early definitely not a year early because I know that I won't have the experiences and everything to you know really sub- supplement my application but a semester early doesn't really change the overall timeline right because oh. it you know you, like you said the senior semester um, senior year spring semester or winter semester uh, doesn't really do much um, do you know of anyone who's done similar things or do you have any advice about that?
1: Hmm. I don't think I know anybody who did it a semester early, but theoretically, thinking about it, I don't think that's an issue. Um, let's say, okay, let's say, or it's spring or winter semester, depending on your school. Let's say you don't you don't have to do that. One, you're gonna save a half a semester, half a year's worth of tuition. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll have time to, I guess, get clinical exposure if you need it, um, depending on when you're applying for the cycle. Um, or I guess you just kind of chill and take a vacation for a little bit if you're if you're already accepted. Uh, you won't have any classes. I don't see that as a fault because you because when you would, when you apply to med school, you're, you're submitting your transcript, you're submitting your, your experiences, you're submitting your CV uh, letters of recommendation. you did your research and everything like that. and that's what's going to be talked about during the interview. Um, I, I can't see a reason from my perspective as to why finishing a semester early would be in any way. Detrimental or or seen as a negative? But mm-hmm. that was your question. Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, yeah, in my eyes, it's just kind of, um, it allows me to open up my schedule, like as, you know, doing, uh, finding a way to maybe get more clinical exposure, maybe travel a little, um, just little things that maybe I wouldn't get in, um, won't get the chance to do um, once, med- you know, once I get into medical school, or in the worst case scenario, to get a kickstart on building my resume in the case that I don't get into uh, a med school, you know, what's it, the fall semester of my senior year.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. I, I think that would, that's a very reasonable timeline if you wanted to do that and you have the credits to do that. Uh, as long as you're able to graduate in those three and a half semesters, I guess that would be right. Uh, with mm-hmm. the research that you need or the extracurriculars that you need and the GPA that you need, I don't, I, I can't think of a reason why that would not be beneficial for you
0: yeah so uh going back to your pre-med journey mm. um you finished all your uh prereqs and obviously the mcat um, mm. is the next obstacle right how did you find the entire mcat prep journey
1: mcat journey was interesting so <laughs> prefacing my mcat studying so i took physics one first and then i took physics two and orgo one then I took Orgo 2 and Bio 1, and then I took Bio 2. So kind of like the reverse of what pretty much mm-hmm. most people do. So I was taking Bio 2 while I was studying for my first MCAT. So I actually had to take it twice. Um, uh, and I, I, In hindsight, I was a little bit too ambitious with what I thought I was able to do. So spring semester, I was still learning Basically, because I guess bio 2 is when you learn human biology and human physiology and stuff. So I was learning that, which is going to be on my test like a month and a half later, which which now I think about it, it's like that doesn't make any sense. Why would I do that? But at the time, I was like, you know, if I want to get into cycle, I got to finish it by April because that's the recommended timeline that everybody had. Everyone. So this had, is in your junior time. year? Yeah, my junior. Everyone was, okay. everyone was kind of taking it April because that was the recommended time to take it so that you could uh, apply on time without any issues. So I was like, All right, uh, I, if I don't want to take a gap here, this is what I got to do. So I hustled for it and I tried. Um, and I got an okay score. It wasn't like a terrible, it wasn't like a sub 500 or anything. Um, but I knew with my lack of clinical experiences, because I kind of switched over a little bit late, I needed something a little bit stronger.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Had I applied with it, um, I think I still may have been able to get into school, but I mean, that's, I guess, hypothetical. So we didn't need to get into that. but. I realized that I probably needed something a little bit stronger if I wanted to be a lot more safe. Um, so then I took it like a month and a half later, and I just grinded out. Wait, when did I take it? So April, May, June. So I guess a month and a half after I got my score back, I just grinded it out for like six weeks, and then bumped up my score to a good amount to to score. I was like, all right, this is solid. I can apply with this without without having to uh, worry about much. And then uh, I s- applied that same cycle. So. I said that, and then I forgot exactly what your question was.
0: <laughs> oh, no, so my uh, that definitely, I guess, summarizes your prep journey. That was pretty much the question. Okay. Um, uh, I guess, personally, I'm planning on taking it at the end of this summer. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm finishing up, obviously, my sophomore year this year. So um, taking the entire summer to study for the MCAT. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you, going back, would you have if you had had the chance, would you have taken the MCAT at the end of the summer, you know, after studying over the summer? Or do you think that taking it during classes is, um, the, there's obviously pros and cons to both, right? Uh, which one do you think is more um, efficient and yields the best results?
1: That's a good question. I think that's very scenario dependent. So yeah. for me, I would not have been able to take it in the summer just because I hadn't taken like half the courses mm-hmm. yet. But let's see, I, I was able to finish it then I think the summer would make a lot of sense because you just finished the courses. A lot of the content is still relatively fresh in your mind. And if you're not working, or even if you are working, uh, as long as it's not like full-time hours, you should have enough time to properly be able to prepare for the MCAT. Um, I think actually, okay, I did say April was a recommended time. I know a lot of people taking the summer, I guess the proper phrasing is April was the latest time that, I, that mm-hmm. was recommended. That
0: April is before- April uh, junior year, sorry. Junior year, yeah. yeah
1: so, that uh, uh, let me rephrase that so april when i took it was the latest recommended time to take it but i know a lot of kids took it in winter break i know a lot of kids it took it in summer after sophomore year yeah. i i think having a full summer without having to worry about classes is totally viable i think it makes sense especially if you just finished a lot of the courses like let's say you just finished physics or bio or biochem or whatever stage you're at a lot of it should uh be fresh in memory and you have a lot of time to work on it without having to worry about the classes on the other hand taking it during the semester i don't think is as scary as people think make it out to be as long as you plan it properly that was my lightest semester i think usually i was taking 17 or 18 credits just because i had to do both Mm -hmm. Uh, i think that semester i took 14 or 15 which i guess is like average but for my schedule, it was like the lightest semester I had. And I planned that on purpose. I said, okay, if I can do this stuff in the fall, I can leave spring to be pretty much just like humanities classes and like a business course that I need to finish up. And that's not really time intensive. And then I can focus the rest of my time on the MCAT. Um, and I think that I think that's also totally reasonable. And I don't think that's too much of an issue as well, especially if let's, I would rather someone take the two and a half so freshman, sophomore, and first half of junior year to finish all their core requirements in a comfortable manner and get a high GPA rather than crash course it, have a lower GPA, and then take it in the summer, if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, And some people take it during winter break, which is also reasonable, but you would still be studying during fall semester. Mm
0: -hmm. Definitely. What are you most proud of during your MCAT prep journey?
1: Mm, That's a good question. Um, I guess I'm buckling down for the second attempt because that's... I... For whatever reason, had a goal that I didn't want to take a gap year. Mm-hmm. I think that was more of a personal goal. It wasn't really founded on like some evidence-based thing, like oh, I need to t- if I take a gap year, my chances decrease. It wasn't anything like that. It was more of a. I, want to I give think. Yeah, I, I'm think. I think the same way right now. So I, I to to do this. Yeah. <laughs> if, nothing wrong with taking a gap year, but for whatever reason, my mentality was just mm-hmm. I wanna I wanna do it on cycle. I guess possibly because a lot of my friends were also doing it on cycle. Um, I lost my train of thought. Uh, So yeah, proud of. So So I got the first score. It was okay, I could have applied with it and I think I would have been okay with it. I I would think it would have been okay anyway, but six weeks hunkered down, went through all my weaknesses, trying to kind of revamped my approach to studying and revising. And then boosted my score about like six-ish points which i think is i think is pretty good for six weeks considering i know a lot of kids usually just do it in the winter break and things mm-hmm. um so i guess i guess if the question is what was something i would be most proud of it would probably be that six that that, that second attempt where i kind of just like went all out and i was like all right this is this is it <laughs> just just do it um
0: so what would what would be your biggest regret then?
1: Not um, not being reasonable during the first exam. I think I think it was I think I was again too ambitious. It's kind of the same mentality. That I wanted to get I wanted to get it done, and I kind of had a lot of confidence. Um, but I don't think there's anything wrong with being able to delay your exam one month, which is still would have been fine. And I could, I totally should have done that, um, and maybe I would have been fine that way and gotten a fine score. And then I would have been able to join over the summer or like maybe that doesn't look as bad to allocation. I'm not actually sure how that would be, but uh, it was, I guess, I guess that would be the biggest regret is not being more objective and being like, all right, nothing wrong with delaying it three weeks if I have to. Do
0: you think that mentality is indicative of most pre-meds or is that something that you were just facing?
1: That's a good question. Because, right. I, think might be, I think I think a lot of pre-meds are very I mean, neuro, neuroticism is not a word for pre-meds for no reason. I think a mm-hmm. lot of a lot of them just have uh, are very I don't know what the word is goal-driven I guess mm-hmm. the word you want to get into med school and you want to get do what you have to do and you want to make sure you have the best application there possibly is um, so you can get into Harvard or whatever um, and I think being, uh, it's taking the time to be like, all right, let me push this back. Or maybe, maybe, uh, being, giving yourself, like, I guess, a reality check kind of comes off for some people, not, not all people as a weakness in a sense, like, oh, maybe I'm not as, as good as I thought I was or as confident as I thought I could be. I don't think that's indicative of all pre I think there's some premates who might be like that. Uh, and there's some who are just. Like terrified of taking exams and they would have pushed it back anyway. And then there were some who are probably much more realistic and able to uh, be more introspective of where they are and where they stand and where to act or how to act. So yeah. I don't know if you can summarize all pre-meds in one, yeah. Um I think there's probably a group of people like that. I don't know how many, um, but I wouldn't be surprised if there was.
0: Yeah. Yeah, uh, no, that's a great point. Uh, I want to talk a little bit now about your extracurriculars during your time <laughs> at Rutgers. Uh, let's start with research. I've talked to a guest before on the podcast about how research is usually another item on the checklist when it comes to a pre-med journey, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, especially to med school or, I mean, I guess to, for any science-based, um, you know, major student, uh, did you pursue research consistently at Rutgers? And uh, I guess a follow-up follow to that is how did your perspective of research change as you completed your undergraduate years? Mm.
1: This could be this could be a very long topic if I wanted <laughs> research. but uh, so during undergrad, I remember I applied for research, but it's very hard to get research as a business degree major without mm. prior science background because like nobody really understands why are you trying to do like molecular biology research at my lab like it doesn't make sense. Um, and then there was a point where I had the opportunity to uh, work, decent amount of hours so I could help pay off like, you know, uh, car payments and things or take a research, uh, job that, that someone had found that that was open. And I decided I kind of was going to lean towards the one where I was able to take some financial stress off hmm. in hindsight. Was that the best choice? I don't know because I ended up going to application psych without any research on hand. And I know that's like a checklist that usually people wanna get. Uh, and I would recommend if anyone is a pre to definitely try and get research. I think it's gonna make you look, make you stand out. And it's kind of something that most people are trying to get down anyway. So not having it, I don't know if it puts you at a disadvantage, but it would be, you would have to have something else in your resume or application to make up for it. To be like, all right, I didn't do research, but I was doing like X, Y, Z extracurriculars and leadership opportunities. Um, in terms of how my perspective research has changed, in med school research is still a checkbox you need to hit before you hit, re- when, when you apply to residency. Mm-hmm. For some, if you're going, depending on where you go into, they will want research and they will want to know that you've done it uh, to the point where you either presented it or published a paper or done like an abstract or something like that, uh, not just worked in the lab. A lot, of the, a lot of the med school researches are more clinical in nature anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, I feel like if, if a, if a program director hears this, they might kick me out and they might take on my position, but I think research is a little overrated per se. Uh, I think it's good. I think you have, you, there are skill sets that you do learn. Um, I think it is a valuable component to advancing medicine. Uh, and I think that everyone should have some exposure to it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because you will be practicing evidence-based medicine, you need to know how to read research papers, you need to know how those things get into play anyway. Uh, You should know what you're, uh, and I I think you need physicians who are interested in going into it so that you can, you know, think of new treatment modalities or uh, drug therapies or whatnot. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great point that you made about evidence-based medicine, because um, when it comes to research, uh, the, the reason why I said it's another item on the checklist, like, it's true for applications, but I feel like people do it because they genuinely don't even care. Mm -hmm. Uh, about research and um you know (laughs)
1: the second point i want to make well i'll I'll let you finish first
0: yeah no so um like someone that i uh interviewed before he got in thinking you know he he got into research thinking that you know it was just something that you had to kind of just you know get the hours done and uh you know maybe pick up on something uh Mm -hmm. for the future but it wasn't really something that you um needed to really like indulge yourself or like involve yourself in Mm -hmm. um and i guess um speaking from personal experience like I have worked in a lab where I knew that that wasn't the like the place that I wanted to be for like all four years or for a really long time. It right. was just kind of like oh this is like okay let's learn like the introductory you know the steps to okay. being an RA and then move on from there. Um, do you have any opinion on that?
1: Um, I guess so again I think I agree that research does have uh, you should have an introduction to it Um, I kind of agree with that, I guess, with that person was saying that you kind of go into and you learn the skills, but you may not go long term. Problem is that it's such an emphasis for some of these specialties that people are, you know, I think the average internal medicine research experience is like three to to four experiences. So that's including like abstract papers, posters, oral presentations. And I imagine if that's, let's say that's the average. uh, I don't know the standard deviation is, but that means like a good chunk of them are doing a lot of research. Because uh, fifty percent of them are doing more than that, um, and I think, I think I remember doing reading a statistic. I can't remember off the top of my head now. Because I I had looked into this before that a lot of them don't even do research as a physician. So I think I think we are putting emphasis on a experience that a lot of people don't even want to continue. Like you were saying, yeah. they don't really really want to do research. Um, again, that's not to say it's not important. But I think if we put more emphasis on some of these other aspects of healthcare, so public health um, projects, um, you know, projects with underserved communities, uh, public policy, um, you know, healthcare business or healthcare entrepreneurship or healthcare technology. Those are also aspects of healthcare that would make a really big impact. They're not research, so I guess you can't quantify them as publications, but if you were able to encourage that, now now you have a, now two, two things happen. One, people are gonna explore these different sets of healthcare. Um, So they'll have a better approach on what's actually going on in medicine. Two, more people may find these branches of healthcare that they would actually enjoy and be able to go into. And that subsequently leads to more physician leaders in XYZ subsect of healthcare. Uh, And three, you have a lot of, then you you have less people doing things just because it's a checkbox and they're doing things because they actually want to learn about it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I get it's tougher. You can't can't quantify projects the same way you can quantify publications or abstracts but I think, it, I think it's gotten to a point where it's overemphasized. Um, and it, it, I think a lot of applications is a numbers game. Can you give me your MCAT score? Can you give me your board score? Can you give me your grades? Can you give me your, um, how many things you've published or how many things you've, uh, research projects you worked on? So numbers are easier to scan over than actual experiences.
2: <laughs> um,
1: but that's like my short, brief uh, version of uh, what I think about research I, again. It's got its own. It's got its own uses, and it's very valuable. Yeah, but I think it's become overemphasized recently, or I don't know about in the past, but as of now, I think it's. I think it's a little bit overemphasized.
0: No, that's a great point. Uh, I guess uh, going back to your point about like aspects of healthcare, mm-hmm. one of the primary aspects of healthcare is obviously the life of a physician, right? Like the mm-hmm. actual living, um, you know, duties of being a physician. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, research isn't the only thing that is a resume builder for pre-meds uh, necessarily. Shadowing and clinical experience is really important. So um, I guess, uh, how did you get into shadowing? And uh, I, I guess like a conjoining question is, was there ever a time where you experienced something in shadowing or clinical you know, clinical care environments where you were like, oh, I don't know about this? Or you know, did you ever face a doubt because of that?
1: Uh, you mean in med school or before? Before. So in your undergrad. Pre-med. Okay. Yeah. So finding shadowing was more of, a, so I I guess I don't have anyone in my family that is in healthcare or like a healthcare specific, at least not in New Jersey. Um, so no, no like physician, first gen. I guess I'd be a first generation physician in that sense. I think that by definition, that's what I would be. But so I didn't have like parents I could just talk to and be like, hey, dude, you know, can I come to your yeah. clinic or hospital? But we do know a lot of physicians or people in healthcare. So I was able to just reach out to them and be like, hey, I'm interested in doing medicine. Uh, do you mind if I come shadow you for like a couple of weeks just to see how how, how it works at your clinic? I think a lot of mine were more clinical because hospital shadowing is a lot of paperwork and there's a lot of backend stuff that needs to go on to sign up mm. for it and things like that. So I was like clinical, stuff so is way easier to get shadowing from. Uh, and I, I mean, I still did hospital shadowing. I think I shadowed uh, in the ICU um, and then I did orthopedic clinic, neurology clinic, and uh, rheumatology clinic. So I did. I figured it, more experience would be better anyway, just to see all the different types. Mm-hmm. But a lot of them, all four of them, were family—either family friends or a friend of a family friend. Oh, okay. uh, and I think I think that was the easiest way for me to do it. It was just word of mouth because it's a lot easier to take on somebody that you kind of know.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, especially when you're doing like stuff like clinical stuff. Uh, yeah. I know a lot of people do have issues with shadowing, which is, I guess for me, I never experienced it because I guess I got, I got lucky with the community that I was kind of grew up in. Um, and I know a lot of them are trying to apply to these programs. I think one of the ways you could try to circumvent that is find upperclassmen and just find out who they shadowed. And ask them if they can just give you that person's email or that person's number. Because if if a doctor took one person to shadow, they're very likely to take more. Because at that point, Mm. I don't think they really care too much about if they're students with them or not. COVID times are different. I'm talking about you know normal. normal Yeah, yeah, obviously. Uh, And I I think it's way easier to to directly contact them and get that information rather than apply through like whatever summer program that puts you through. Like I don't even know. Uh, but you're you're competing with a bunch of other people who are applying. As opposed mm-hmm. to reaching out directly to certain clinical, uh, certain physicians that you already know take students because that person yeah. you talked to already did it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's great advice. I'll uh, definitely have to keep that in mind when things start to open up. And hopefully, I can you know, uh, I guess learn something in a clinical care setting because so far, um, you know, I essentially finished what one semester of college and then mm-hmm. you know everything went down. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, so I haven't even gotten the chance to do that, so I'm definitely eager to um, get into that kind of environment. Mm-hmm. I also feel like these days, uh, patient interaction uh, experiences, which is you know a lot more general um, than you know clinical care, um, is incorrectly associated with shadowing and clinical experiences because they think that being in a clinical uh, care um, you know environment or setting is the exact same thing or the only way that you can gain patient interaction experiences. Um, could you go into how you, I guess, interacted with patients maybe outside of um, shadowing or you know clinical care settings?
1: Wait, so just to, to clarify the, I guess the misconception is that, is like having patient care interaction is only possible with like clinical roles, is that what you're saying?
0: Yeah, like like basically only working with the physician or you know, only working in a hospital or something like that. There obviously are like, you know, other ways to go about it, like through service organizations, et cetera.
1: Right, right. Okay. So uh so I guess twofold question, right? I guess is how do mm-hmm. you find that and then what my experiences were. Yeah. Okay. So my experiences, uh, like I mentioned before, I already knew my lack of clinicals were gonna be a big issue. Um, mm-hmm because I had to show like my commitment and whatnot, um, which was also still kind of tough because like the summers is when I was catching up on some of the pre-med courses or taking, or like, you know, applying. Well, I guess I only had two summers before applying. So mm-hmm. I, no, I only had one summer before applying because the next summer I, well, I did apply. Mm-hmm. And that summer I was taking Orgo. Uh, so I didn't fall behind um, and physics. So mm-hmm. I, I didn't really get too much patient interaction I think most of my patient interaction pretty much just came from shadowing but even during shadowing I kind of like asked them if I could help out with like certain small small administrative stuff or like taking them to the weight scale or like small stuff like that just so I get mm. kind of a little bit of experience because I think there's a lot of limitations on what a pre-med student can do unless you're like a scribe or an EMT or I guess a medical assistant because then you're trained to take like blood pressures and things like that
2: yeah
1: um I think you make a good point that you don't have to be in a hospital to get patient hours. I think the I think the goal there's there's two like gold standards for clinical experience and that's scribing and that's being an EMT Because those those are the most direct mm-hmm. patient experiences you're gonna have in there are so many hours, like it's it's not even questionable at that point that yeah. you have the experience that you need. Um, but I think things, even these like I guess more administrative roles like medical assistant. Um, and I guess there's a lot of volunteer stuff at the hospitals or even going to like a nursing home um, or going to not even a hospital maybe like a psychiatric ward um, going g- pretty much going to any clinic uh, those are all potential areas that you could go to or urgent care even Ed, I guess it depends if urgent care is what let to take volunteers or I guess you could get hired there too hmm. any place that you have that you are physically talking to a patient or doing something with the patient will automatically count as clinical care. It doesn't have to be in mm-hmm. the hospital, it doesn't have to be on the floors or the ICU. It could be outside that as well. Um, just because I, th- I think the purpose of that, of getting those clinical hours is one, do you even know what you're getting into? Uh, because it is four years, Yeah. it has heavy debt. Then you have three to nine years of residency depending on what you wanna do, which is like minimum wage for long hours. And then you, then you get like the attending lifestyle, which even then is a lot of hours. <laughs> but at that point, I guess you you get the equivalent pay to kind of make up for it. And you get more responsibility and autonomy that you get to do what you wanted to do from, for, yeah. from the very beginning. But until then, four years of pre-med, four years of medical school, maybe a gap year or two then residency that's a long time so they want to make sure you kind of know what you're getting into Mm -hmm. so being able to say that you talk to patients you talk to physicians you kind of know what the back end is sort of like you're never going to really get it as a pre-med yeah but that you kind of understood it and you took the time to learn about it that's kind of what they're looking for i think i mean i'm not in the med med school admissions Mm -hmm. per se
0: no i definitely understand understand what you're trying to say
1: yeah so if you can talk about that and say you did stuff and you know what you're getting into. I think that's the that's experience that you want.
0: Yeah, definitely, I'll have to keep that in mind. Um, I guess now I wanna move into um, you know, your time in, time in med school. Um, so you're finishing your junior year at Rutgers back in 2016 and you begin the application cycle for med school. Did you ever think about taking a gap year? I think we kind of uh, went into this because you said that um, you're very adamant about it, but what are some factors that drove you directly uh, to med school?
1: So it was more of a, I had set that personal goal that you know Mm -hmm. I wanted to get it done. And I was like, I'm just gonna see it through at that point. Had I not gotten in, gap year was obviously still in the play. I was looking for clinical Jobs at that point anyway, like if there was one year scribing opportunities, or like uh, if I could find some volunteer clinical hours or something while those or and then while working like at a healthcare business job or something like that. Those are kind of like the backups in my mind that I was applying to while app app cycle was going on. Um but I think the only time I had considered it, the gap year portion. I guess I guess there were two times. One before I took the first time cat, I was like, hmm, do I wait? or do I just take it mm-hmm. um and the second time was when I was about to take the second one I was like do I wait or do I just take it <sighs> um but besides those I don't think I've ever I I think the I was on track because I was able to make that schedule that I didn't really have to consider a gap year too hard mm-hmm. and again I don't think there's anything wrong with taking a gap year I think you actually get more of a Appreciation for medicine that way. Uh, you mature a little by working for a year or whatever you do. Um, so, mentally speaking, you're probably more prepared for medical school. Um, and if you are working, you have experience in healthcare that other people won't have. And I think that'll put you a little bit ahead of the game in terms of, I guess, just mentally being prepared for healthcare. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, for whatever reason, I was just very adamant for that personal goal that I set. And I luckily was able to. Uh, I guess hit it or I guess reach that
0: yeah yeah um, I feel like people don't realize the importance of med school interviews until they actually get to that point point. and uh, obviously like I'm, I'm very early in this process um, but I just uh, I feel like through um, reading online or through YouTube videos and stuff I've seen so many people say that like med school interviews are just a whole nother level as opposed to you know co- uh, college interviews because those are just like they're done by alumni or they're optional. They're not really essential uh, supplementary material. Could you talk a little bit about how you prepared or learned how to do a med
1: school interview? Yeah. So, two parts to it, I guess. One, I guess, luckily, again, as a business student, I had taken, I had learned interview prep, I guess, in a class or two. So it wasn't a 100% complete surprise as to what I was getting into. And plus, if you applied to any job, you're going to have to go through the interview process anyway. Mm -hmm. So you're like kind of, it's not the same as med school interviews, but you kind of know what to expect and what what the atmosphere is like in that regard. And you kind of, if you've done enough of them, you kind of know how to approach them, how to prepare for them, how to respond to certain questions without being like robotic about it. Yeah, especially Um, with behaviorals, right? Exactly, yeah. So I think... For me, I was lucky enough that I had a little bit of experience beforehand that I wasn't stressing super hard because I kind of knew what I was going to be expecting and what I need to do. But preparation is still a little bit different because it's not a job. It's a, it's more education, <laughs> pretty much. And you're going to be there for four years. You're going to pay them. Um, and they're the ones who are going to give you the education that you're looking for, hopefully, so that you can become the physician. Mm-hmm. Um, with part of the question, how to prepare for those?
0: Well, how, how did you... Uh...
1: I don't know. Okay, so for me, uh, I was more focused on finding out about the school because a lot of, there's I think I guess there's like a couple of questions that are automatically be asked to pretty much everyone. Uh, one is I guess why do you want to go to medical school, and two why do you want to go to our medical school?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, because I guess you could train at any medical school and you could become a doctor. All of them have pretty high uh, board pass rates. A lot of them have a lot of uh, a very high match rate. Uh, Matri being like a lot of the students who graduate will immediately go on to become residents. Mm-hmm. Um, so theoretically, you can go anywhere. Um, they want to know why you're you going to theirs. Uh, and if you're going to a deal, you apply to a school, they're going to ask you why, do you, why do you apply to a deal school. Um, so those two or three always show up. So you have to do your research into that school. And you also have to do research, or I guess not research, introspection into why you actually want to do medicine. Because you, um, re- regardless of your reason, like, let's, let's say your reason was, you know, your family pushed you into it. You can't say that. Uh, yeah. And say so your reason was, you know, it's a prestigious job um, and it gives me job safety. Uh, and I don't mind it. You, also, you, you really honestly can't yeah. say that either, uh, even if it is true for for you. So uh, you have to prepare that. I think a lot of schools offer the ability to do mock interviews with like your health professions office. I don't know what, what it's called at each school, but Rutgers is called the health professions office. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they offer mock interviews and they'll give you advice um, and if you know medical students, you could also just be like, hey, is this a good answer to these questions? Um, or is this how I should approach it actually? One thing I, I think a lot of kids do wrong is they memorize answers to yeah. questions. And you can very easily tell if someone's memorized a question and they're just regurgitating it to you. Uh, there's a difference between preparation, I think, and, and, and memorizing. So if let's say you gave me a question, uh, they asked me like, you know, tell me about yourself, right? There are certain things you know you wanna hit, you may not know exactly how you're going to word it, but you know that this is the template that you're going to go through. This is the timeline that you're going to hit, and that's going to be your answer. Um, and I think that prepares you better because you're more adaptable to certain to new questions. If they throw you a curveball, it's not like oh, I didn't I didn't write down that answer before. I don't know what to say. It's more like okay, they probably want to ask me about this. I could I could answer that uh, mm-hmm. because you weren't you're not relying on pure memorization at the point. You're relying on how much of yourself do you understand yeah uh and that's a lot easier to to answer these throwball, the curveball questions that they give you mm-hmm. i think that's a, that's a trap a lot of people who haven't done a lot of interviews fall into because what they'll do is they'll look up like the top 10 most common medical school questions and they'll write that down and they'll reread it
0: mm-hmm.
1: and they'll like partially memorize it and then as soon as they stumble that one time that one sentence then they're thrown off and they don't know what to do
0: yeah yeah i think uh that's like definitely uh, similar to like casing interviews for you know, consulting and stuff mm-hmm. like that. I don't know if you, you've done any of those, but I feel like out of personal experience, like when I first did those, I remember um, trying to apply every case to another case and mm-hmm. that's not how it works. And I think um, kind of doing that for every school is how you get you know, into those little traps or those, you know, get um, stopped by those curveball questions. Yeah. how did you decide on rowan's do school
1: so my goal at the end of the day was to become a physician i didn't necessarily mind if it was going to be an md school it was going to be a do school i wanted a school that was going to give me the opportunities that i needed um and the uh training that i wanted
0: is that what and you said during the med school interviews? That, i was about
1: to say that sounds like a very <laughs> cop-out answer and i knew from my application I needed to apply to both. Like, okay, so realistically, no matter what someone says, it's easier to get into a dual school than it's to get into MD school. At the end of the day, most of the training is like, I guess like 80% of it is identical. The content is exactly the same. Maybe how they teach you to is different. How much clinical exposure you get is different. How, how, uh, how much research you could get is different. But content is exactly the same. You're going to be taking the same board exams. You're going to be graduating, getting the same, hopefully the same scores. You're going to be applying to the same residency programs. But if anyone tells you that, you know, um, they're exactly equal in application. That's not true. Deal schools on average have lower MCAT scores and lower uh, GPA scores, and they're more geared toward career changers, people who have been out, of, who have, like taken a couple of gap years, and I guess they're more for, maybe not forgiving, but they're more, uh, what's the word? Hopefully. Likely, maybe, or uh, I don't know what the word would be. I guess likely to take someone who has taken those gap years. I guess they're more forgiving, I guess is the word, to take, to take in someone who's taken the gap years or the career changers because they kind of value that aspect a little bit more mm-hmm. um, to compensate for a lower GPA or for a lower MCAT. Interesting. I think over the years, it's it's definitely risen. My average GPA and MCAT when I applied is definitely lower than it was now. Mm-hmm. Even even for MD schools, for both of them, they just, they just keep rising. It's like, yeah. it's crazy. Um, but I knew for myself, I needed to apply to both. Like, I didn't really have... if I'm, for me, again, it didn't matter which degree I was getting as long as I was mm. doctor. So, I ended up applying to both. Um, and I think for me, the lack of clinical exposure kind of not barred me, maybe filtered me, or limited my uh, uh, this MD schools interviews. Like I, I was able to get some, mm-hmm. but I think it was limiting. Um, and then I remember Rowan gave me the acceptance. Uh, I would get in-state tuition from there because the loans are like that is that is still a big deal mm-hmm. uh and i knew that again if i was getting into a couple of different DO schools rowan is has a very good reputation at least in the northeast their match list is pretty solid uh, i would get the in-state tuition i'd be close to family which is a good support to always have yeah um and i was like it just made sense um to accept that one and take it rather than go like farther away and probably double my maybe not double but like almost double my debt that I had to pay off later on, which I think is I think is an underlooked at part. Um, I don't want every I don't want to turn everything to like money discussion or anything, but if you're coming out with 160K debt versus like 300 k debt, that's that's pretty significant. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and again, if you think that schools are offering if they're in similar tiered version, like I'm not gonna pick like, you know, like a see I don't want to say any school names but I, I can't get any anyway. But let's you have Harvard versus something else that's not Harvard level. Mm regardless of tuition, you're going to Harvard, like that's, yeah. that education opportunity is way past mm-hmm. what your opportunity cost is.
0: Yeah.
1: And I think I think if that's a similar, similar thing tiers, for like
0: undergrad also.
1: Exactly, but if you're going to similar tiers, uh, you know, I, I think that long-term perspective is still important. Uh, and I knew Rowan already had like a pretty, has a really good reputation along the Northeast, which is where I want to practice anyway. Mm-hmm. So I was like, for me, it, it made sense. Interesting, interesting. Yeah,
0: I think um, that's definitely something to keep in mind. Um, Personally, like I, I knew that DO schools should also, like I should be open to DO schools, but you know, going in as a pre-med, you always think, oh, MD is the way to go. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, thank you for that advice. Um, so now I you're in I your, sorry, go ahead.
1: Yeah, I mentioned one thing because yeah, I hope a program director doesn't yell at me for saying this, but <laughs> I think it's important for med students, pre-med students to know there is a, I gotta be really careful how I say it. <laughs> glass ceiling. No, not glass ceiling. There's still some bias against DO graduates compared to MD graduates. Um, Again, I think the training for the most part from people that I've met, like you're still taking the same board exams and if you hit the same scores, you're technically on the same level as an education standpoint. But there are some residency programs that highly prefer MDs only. Uh, so you, like even if you apply there they just you know prefer their MD students and they're not going to take a lot of deals that may change because the residencies have merged there are no longer MD and DO residencies they're all the same they're all MD and residencies yeah. or ACGME residencies so maybe it changes by the time you get there
0: but did you did you come to that realization before or like before you accepted um your, your like your acceptance to uh Rowan or did you kind of figure that out over the course of your school
1: experiences i I was told that the phrasing i was told was the glass ceiling for Mm -hmm. deals from a deal physician that i shadowed interesting funny enough he actually said the same thing to me he said maybe it changes in the next few years (laughs) his point when he had graduated he said it was there i still think it's gotten better um Mm -hmm. and i think with the merger will get it'll continue to get better because it's more of an equalization of Mm residency at that point uh but i i would feel bad if we went through the whole podcast and someone didn't know that that was an actual thing that happens
0: yeah, yeah. no that's a, that's a great thing to clear up
1: yeah but yeah i think uh, i i mean i i guess i heard about it um but i knew rowan had like a good enough education that i thought it wasn't going to make too much of a difference mm-hmm. and for the most part it doesn't but there are still a few programs who will who will not be as inclined to take one mm-hmm. for whatever reason interesting Definitely uh, something to keep in mind.
0: Yeah. Um, so now you're in your final year at Rowan. Um, mm-hmm. How different is med school during the pandemic as opposed to normal life? Yeah.
1: So yeah, pretty different. I can't speak for the first, second, and third years because I don't know exactly how they're doing it. I know first and second years are doing online lectures. I don't know if they go, I guess they go in for labs. Um, but I don't know what else they do in person. But I'll speak from a fourth year perspective. So we're supposed to do rotations yeah. at the hospital or at the clinic and during fourth year when you apply there is a few month period where there's a thing called audition rotations where you would rotate at a program that you want to apply to and kind of just like like hey I'm, pr- I'm good enough to be like you know I'm pretty good you should take me like mm-hmm. you're kind of showcasing yourself you're auditioning but that opportunity kind of disappeared as soon as COVID hit because a lot of proposals professors- understandably so don't want kids traveling across the country to go to Mm -hmm. their program and then possibly taking something back to a different state
2: yeah
1: um and a lot of liability i guess on that point from a hospital perspective so travel cut a lot of hospitals were like we're not taking outside students so instead of being able to rotate at programs that maybe i wanted to apply to in like i don't know new york or new jersey or wherever that opportunity was like 99 percent of hospitals were like no we're not doing that this year Mm -hmm. And for internal medicine, it's not as big of a deal. Uh, for other pro- other specialties, that's that's a massive hit because like mm-hmm. you need usually that was what you were. That's a pretty big deal. Um, yeah. It gives you such a good advantage, especially if you're doing something like surgery or things like that. So it was a little more forgiving, I think, hospitals from that perspective. I think mm-hmm. the ruling or the recommendation, not ruling, was if you don't have X Y Z specialty at your home program. Mm-hmm. then you can apply to us. So, let's say you were doing anesthesia. Interesting. So, Rowan doesn't have a home anesthesia program. Okay. Like, they don't offer anesthesia specialty, I think, mm-hmm. at, their, at their site. So For the residency program? You know? Yeah, they don't really, I don't, as a, if I'm not mistaken, they don't have an anesthesia residency program. Okay. And not, not every house was going to have everything, so that's normal. Mm-hmm. That's not like a, a bad thing or anything. And my friend was doing anesthesia, so he was able to go to apply to places like Temple, or other places okay. because um, they were like, all right, if you can't do it at home, okay, now we can take you because that's a reasonable request. But if you have something at home, sorry, if you have something at home, you got to stay there because that's the safest thing to do. Yeah. So for, uh, and then, so when you, you a lot of people lost the ability to do those audition rotations at programs they were maybe not the most qualified for, but they really wanted to impress on. And then two, a lot of people ended up having to do a mix of online rotations, which were pretty much just like modules or telemedicine, as opposed to in-person clinicals. Mm-hmm. Uh, because again, the space was limited in the hospital. And like during April, when everything was like peaked, maxed out, and nobody really knew how to treat COVID properly, they were like, all right, students stay home. Let's figure out what's going on. Uh, and then like in mm-hmm. July, or no, maybe June, I forgot which month something around there. They're like, all right, now you guys can come back. It's kind of died down and we can handle this now. Mm. So that was, a, that was a pretty massive change from a rotation standpoint.
0: Wow, interesting. Um, I guess uh, since you're well into your clinical rotations now, um, how did you find a professional interest in internal medicine? And the reason why um, I'm asking this is also because I've interviewed a third-year medical student uh, recently who's planning on also pursuing internal medicine. And I feel like we're seeing a lot more internal medicine physicians come out of uh, schools now. Hmm. Do you know if there's a specific reason for this or is just is um, internal medicine just a common field in general?
1: Do you want an interview answer or do you want a real answer? <laughs>
0: Ooh, um, Give me, give me the interview first and then. The...
1: I'll, I'll give you, I mean, they're, both, they're pretty much the same. And actually, okay. this, is, this is something that's actually pretty uh, pretty similar. So to answer one question, mm-hmm. internal medicine is common in general because it's kind of like the default field. If you don't know what you want to do, you go to okay. internal medicine mm-hmm. um, because there's like 12 different special fellowship opportunities. You can do GI, you can do pump crit, you can do rheumatology, endo, cardio, um, a bunch of different things that you have opportunities for. So if you don't know what to do, default internal medicine you can just apply to one of the fellowships later on Mm -hmm. um two it's a lot more forgiving in terms of board scores they will there's there are programs that obviously like you know the top tier programs are going to want the best scores and the best research Uh, but there's a lot bigger range in terms of where you can apply like internal interventional radiology is very competitive Mm -hmm. if you don't have the scores for it unless you like have massive networking connections or like insane research or something something that really really sticks out your chances are pretty slim, mm-hmm. uh, but there are certain specialties that have those bigger ranges. So again, if you don't know what you wanna do, you have solid board scores or like maybe on the lower end, then internal medicine is one of those fields that kind of like, there will be a place for you somewhere. You can get in and then you'll be able to, you may have to work a little bit harder at some places and others to find the fellowship or work in the location that you want, but it's there. That opportunity is totally there. Okay. For, for me though, I, Internal medicine is very broad, right? So you get mm-hmm. to cover like pretty much all of medicine, pretty much. Yeah. And a variety is there for you. Family medicine is similar. It's a little bit more outpatient oriented, which I do like outpatient. Uh, but you also include pediatrics and OB-GYN. Mm-hmm. I wasn't too keen on doing OB-GYN or pediatrics. I yeah. kind of just almost focus on adult populations. So internal medicine made more sense from that standpoint. Second, uh, I kind of learned where I kind of valued how my business background let me be a little bit more diverse in my experiences during medical school. Mm-hmm. Uh, so certain projects that I ran uh, or other extracurriculars that I did, um, they were kind of founded on bridging those two together. And I kind of realized like, you know, if you know a lot of different things, there's more tools in your toolbox. I kind of like having that feeling. So term gives me that. Okay. Three, uh, I learned on surgery rotation that I did like working hands-on. Like I liked mm-hmm. doing procedures, but I didn't want to be in the war all day long. Again, internal medicine offers that with, if you do like a GI fellowship or a fellowship or cardio fellowship. Mm-hmm. Um, so like if you put all those different things kind of together, it, it all just kind of leads up to internal medicine because it offers those opportunities specific to that. Like it, it gives me <laughs> it gives me variety, gives me procedural care. Uh, I can do inpatient or I can do outpatient and I just have a, I feel like I have a better or more diverse toolbox that I can use. Mm-hmm. as a physician. Wow. Oh
0: yeah. Yeah. Um... I specifically didn't really um, know what internal medicine is until I uh, started this podcast um, because I feel like internal medicine is just something that, um, like, like you said, it's like what people go into if they're not sure. Um, so it's not really like explained, really, because it, people just assume that it, it's that's just like general medicine. But yeah, yeah. Uh, thank you for that explanation.
1: I think uh, a friend mentioned this to me once, and I feel like it's pretty... Good summary, and he called internal medicine the ultimate procrastinator specialty. Like, if you know what you wanted to do, you can go into internal medicine, you can figure it out. Um, so I think that's again, like you're saying, it's kind of like the default that a lot of people do. Uh, that's not to say that all of them, like, there are people like people will go into medicine because they actually do really like it. Um, and there's very valid reasons to go into it, yeah. But because of the opportunities that it presents and its ability to, to take in pretty much anyone, because there's so many tiers, I guess you mm-hmm. could call them, it becomes that procrastinator procrastination or de facto specialty for people who are a little bit wishy-washy
0: yeah so I guess uh, the last seg- segment of this podcast I want to talk about um, what you're doing outside of med school mm. um, so you have done and are still doing some great work for the community as a volunteer for the COVID-19 uh, New Jersey Medical Student Coalition Mm -hmm. um you've also recently started a mentorship program called breakthrough so Mm -hmm. let's start with the med student coalition Uh, could you go into how you joined this group and some specifics of what you're doing or
1: what you did so we'll go back to beginning of COVID. everything got shut down Uh, everyone kind of went home um and i kind of disliked the idea that i was sitting on the sidelines um, like I, the smart the safest thing and the smartest thing is to not go into the hospitals to not uh, get patient exposure like uh, regardless of how much training we have and how much we understand what's going on as medical students we don't have the clinical experience yet not until we're residents I guess to be able to help out uh, directly but I I felt there were ways to help out indirectly I don't think there is any reason for uh, I mean, I guess if you don't want to, there's a different story, but if you if you wanted to do something, there was no reason that you wouldn't be able to help from an indirect perspective. So that led me to a couple of different projects. One of them um, was like a uh, healthcare smartphone app where they were trying to um, use smartphone technologies to assess like vital signs at home, uh, like respiratory rate, um, things like that which would help with like telemedicine or help at these patients. know like, do you need to go to the ER now or do they not have to?
2: Because
1: mm-hmm. like, a lot of doctors are overwhelmed and a lot of clinics were kind of, the ERs are like packed. And um, we thought that might be a good idea. And I realized, you know, as a medical student, I probably understand what to be looking for better than the average person, non-medicine. So I was able yeah. to jump on that and help them with that. The other thing was the thing that you mentioned was the uh, New Jersey uh, Medical Student Coalition for COVID. So they had a lot of different projects going on. There's a subdivision for... Uh, grocery delivery, where they would like, you know, go out and get groceries for elderly populations and nursing homes and things like that and bring it to them so they didn't have to go outside and expose themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, There was one that was working on plasma donations uh, and uh, blood drives. I think more recently when things got a little bit safer, uh, fundraising for PPE, things like that, Uh, a lot of ways to help while being safe and being reasonable,
2: Yeah,
1: which I think is uh the best way to do it as a medical student and then the one that i focused on was more education based so what we did we had a couple of different venues going on so with schools becoming online uh, people not be able to get the proper education just because it kind of like shocked the school system and no one really knew how to adapt mm-hmm. so We offered two different things so one of them was tutoring from a medical student for free to like high school students or uh, middle school students uh, they were able to get a medical student to help them with like their science courses or math courses if they were comfortable Um, and the other one was a uh, personal statement application review kind of thing so for for high school seniors who are graduating Mm -hmm. if they wanted someone in medical school to read over their application and give them some advice on their personal statements interesting um, things like that
0: are these specifically pre-meds or are
1: these no, okay i mean (laughs) at this point as a medical student you uh, depending on where you are you've already written one for college. You've been one for yeah. medical school and you're probably writing one for uh, residency. So they have like a lot of exposure to that. And mm-hmm. some of them are like amazing at writing these statements. So uh, we offered that oppor- opportunity as well for some of these students. Uh, and that was kind of more the segment that I was focused on.
0: Wow. Yeah, that's some great work. Um, do you think that, uh, I guess, for talking about your mentorship program specifically, um, do you think that this would still have come into play if we weren't in a pandemic? Um, or do you think some parts of it was because you had that extra time or there's some opportunity that came out due to the pandemic that uh, resulted in this program?
1: The mentorship program you're talking about? Yeah. Yeah, no, I don't think it, it made a difference whether there was the pandemic or not. Cause this was something that last November, no, November, December, I don't remember exactly the time but me and a friend had thought about it and discussed the opportunity to do that. We kind of realized there was no reasonably priced, I guess, or affordable or um, proper system in place to get uh, pre-med students or medical students, the mentors in their field. So let me expand on that a little bit. What do I mean? Um, There are services out there that will charge a good chunk of money to do a personal statement review or to talk with you for like a weekend or whatever. But let's say, let's say theoretically, let's say I'm a really bad student called pre-med student. First two years, I have like a 2.7 GPA and I really want to get into med school. And I'm like slowly working my way back up to the GPA that I could get into apply. How well would I be able to relate to a Harvard med student who had a 4.0 the whole time? Hmm. Not not much, right? Their yeah, study habits yeah. are way different than what I would need. Their mentality in each class is way different than what I would need. But you know, if I got a med school med student mentor who also had a 2.7 or 3.0 or whatever gpa and they hustled and they worked out their way up to a 3.6 and they got into medical school they're able to give me way better advice specific to the situation that i'm in
2: yeah
1: yeah and we realized there wasn't really anything in place like that like yeah you have linkedin right linkedin's like for Mm -hmm. but i don't know about you as a pre-med i also linkedin was useless for pre-med students yeah um
0: i I don't think i really use it outside of occasionally like Texting people like you for the podcast. Um, but yeah, you're right. LinkedIn isn't really uh, applicable to a lot of pre-meds other than from just occasionally putting up like, oh, I joined this research lab or you know, I put I I started this or something like that.
1: Exactly. Because it's more geared towards jobs, right? Yeah. Networking for jobs. Um but becoming a physician is not your ordinary path to become a job. Becoming med school is not the same way as getting a job or even residency is not the same way. So there was nothing really out there that was customized uh, and offered the opportunity to be more uh, affordable per se to every student. Cause not everyone can, can drop a couple of thousand dollars on like someone who's been out of med school for 15 years. Like sure, I'm sure they're great at application review and they have a lot of experience with it. But if you had specific questions on like how am I supposed to study for this course or how do I bump my GPA up and how do I get a research? Mm-hmm. You're not gonna find that from someone who's been out of pre-med life 15 Good years point.
2: Yeah.
1: So. That's what breakthrough mentoring was made for. Um, and it was, so there's multiple transitions, right? There's high school to pre-med, pre-med to med school, med school to residency. And technically I guess residency to attending life. So for me personally, I'll give you my own example. I have my business background. I'm going into internal medicine. I kinda wanna continue to merge those two as a physician. Mm-hmm. I don't exactly know how I'm supposed to find a mentor to help me with that. Cause it's not common per se. Yeah. There's a lot more people who are focused on research or academics, uh, which are awesome. But if I needed to find someone for my, for what I want to do, that's a lot harder to do. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm sure if you have your own like unique interests that you want to do, yeah, uh, you would need your own mentor to find yeah. that. And so what we're trying to do is right now we're focusing on pre-med to med students. So get these pre-meds with their unique backgrounds, um, unique goals, unique situations and match them with a medical student that had something as similar as possible to them. Because those are the people that gonna be able to give you the best advice.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, and then there's also the aspect that we're working on a high school program. So any high school student preparing for pre-medical, pre-med career knows what they're getting into from day one, what do you do and how do you succeed as a pre-med? Um, because-
0: And I who's know, mentoring
1: the high school students? So the high school one, as of now, there's no direct one-to-one mentorship, but it's just a, it's like a book or a program in a sense. Okay, so okay. Uh, modules and classes. Mm-hmm. That would tell you, this is what you need to do just so you're not like halfway through sophomore year and realizing that you're behind because you didn't know that you were supposed to do XYZ. Like you didn't know, yeah. how, to teach, you didn't know how to do shadowing. You didn't know how to study. You didn't even know what classes were required. You didn't mm-hmm. know you are supposed to get cat. And I think if, if you don't have a pre-med friend or mentor or upperclassman, you're going to get lost very quickly because there's so yeah. much going on. Uh So those are the two things that we're focused on primarily. We're essentially
0: replacing what the college advisors should be.
1: Yeah, I guess in a sense, I don't want to them mad, but yeah, yeah. Uh, in a sense, because again, they obviously they, they're good at their job uh, for certain aspects, but they're also not students. So they can't. Yeah. You
0: yeah. Yeah. That's place. what I meant by like should be, because obviously they, you kind of have to, it's a very like reactive um, situation for them because mm-hmm. like you have to come to them and ask them what to do. It's mm-hmm. never like, here's everything. Just, you know, if you need anything, then we'll, um, right you know, help you out. Uh, so, yeah, I think that's what you're doing is great. Um, I guess my last question for you, because I don't want to, um, you know, prolong this anymore, uh, because obviously we've, we've covered some great topics and I've learned a lot. Um, I had like a little bit of a speed round, but we covered like those questions already. So the last question is moving away from healthcare, pre-med, you know, medicine, whatever, like that entire part of your life, what do you do outside of it to keep yourself sane?
1: oh that's a good question because you need that stuff to stay sane. <laughs> yes okay, <Yeah. sighs> okay so basketball has been a pretty big thing i mean it's been kind of whatever with covid it's kind of you can't really yeah. play properly like no yeah. one's playing defense six feet out it doesn't really make sense <laughs> uh, but i'll shoot around i'll go play with my brothers um yeah. trying to stay uh, fit so for me that's working out i'm never i was never a fan of running I don't know why. I just can't do it. Don't want same to do it. it. Yeah, if, if, if running involves a ball, like a soccer ball or a basketball, then I will do it. Yeah, it's sport. Definitely it's understand running. <laughs> I, do it. I don't know what it is. I just can't. I have a lot of respect for people who can, though.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, so that's another one. So like working out. Um, gyms are closed, so it's more like at-home stuff at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess for me, I've uh, used to do sports writing. Uh, I don't think I've ever, i ever. I think that's on my linkedin it might be i had my own sports website i worked i worked as a chief editor for another one way back oh, wow. in college yeah i used
0: to have a sports blog in like the the summer before college
1: ah, that's pretty cool Which yeah sport?
0: uh basketball yeah i it was mm-hmm. this was uh the summer before like everyone moved moved uh, teams to like Kawhi and put pg into yeah. the clippers and all that so i was just writing like articles every day during free agency
1: about, was it kind. general or specific Church uh
0: no it was just like me writing
1: on like a wix site okay cool okay no because i did that before Interesting. and then i was like "Yo, that's too much so i focused on the nets only oh, i did okay. that for a few years and then i was and then i started pre-med and i was like i don't know if i have enough time because you gotta be like <laughs> you gotta be quick with that stuff yeah yeah definitely because like things get outdated very quick but besides that uh that was something i know i wanted to get back kind of into so i started like writing healthcare related things on like medium just because like you can just post there for free and it doesn't make a difference
2: mm-hmm.
1: and then post that on my linkedin and see what happens but I know that's something that I've been trying to slowly get into. I also wanted to learn Python. I figured that's a good, flexible thing. that I mean, second can help. Um, well, yeah, if your question was more like, what do you do to stay sane? Usually fitness or basketball related. I mean, obviously you hang out with friends and play video games, but yeah, uh, if that option was unavailable, basketball
0: <laughs> Yeah, that's a great uh, backup plan. Uh, personally speaking, I love, yeah, I love hooping or uh, playing tennis in my free time. And I think that, I, I don't think I'll ever change that about myself, which, Hopefully, um, you know, won't really change even you know, after we yeah, get out of
1: the pandemic. If, you, if you're good at time management, you'll be able to keep up a, a lot of that stuff regardless. I, yeah. I know even the residency programs that I'm applying to, a lot of them, like, they'll ask something similar, like, you know, what do you like to do? Mm-hmm. And they'll mention, like, oh, you know, our residents get together and they play basketball like every weekend <laughs> with the, against the surgery residents and they, like, make a little competition out of it. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, I'm not. <laughs> um, so do I think I think that stuff sticks around forever. So tennis, yeah. I used to play tennis, and then I was I realized I was not good at it, so <laughs> I'm going that one.
0: Yeah, uh, thank you so much, Ali, for taking the time out of your day to sit down with me. Um, I I learned a lot just just from all the various little life lessons that you threw in there, along with the uh, the whole journey aspect of it. And I really hope that those who have made it to the end of this episode also have picked up you know one or two things, if not more um definitely more
1: <laughs> um, if, 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 even one thing I'd be pretty happy
0: yeah um uh, before we finish do you have any advice you want to share is it it could be as general or specific as you want
1: um well I guess first is just you know thank you for bringing me on uh, and anyone who's actually made it to the end I don't even know how long it's been I imagine an hour yeah a little more we, we we're
0: about like an hour 15
1: something like that hour 15 okay that's a long one but so I appreciate anyone who's taken it gone to the end of this and have taken anything out of it like if if one, if one person gets one thing out of it I think I'm pretty content with that yeah um, me too <laughs> I'm sure they will I saw so you had a couple other uh episodes and I kind of like read, listened to those and I think those went really well as well
2: yeah thank you um,
1: but general advice I say just um kind of just do what you like um I think uh career is a very important part of, uh, you know, anyone's life, and if you're trying to become a physician, or even if you change your mind to not, not be a physician, mm-hmm. um, just do something that makes you okay with getting up in the morning, and you're you're, you're not dreading going to work every day. Um, yeah. I think that's the most important thing, because again, even if you do become a physician, there's like a billion different things you can do in it. Um, you can go into public health stuff, you can become a surgeon, you could become an ICU doctor, you could be a hospitalist, you could be any of the fifty different special fellowships that are out there, yeah. uh, you can go into teaching, you can go into research. Um, so just pick the classes that are interesting to you because they'll let you explore, and kind of give you a sense of what you want to do in your future. Because I don't think you get that time in medical school as much. I think a lot of that exploration comes, yeah, during med. Um, Great point. I think. I think there's a lot more value in taking classes you're interested in rather than taking easy GPA boosters, which you is still also valuable because you need your GPA <laughs> to high. Um, but I think there's a balance to make because if you're not really interested in that GPA booster, um, there's a chance that you might actually not get the A because you just didn't study because you hated it. Yeah. And it's easier to find something that maybe it's not the easiest GPA booster, but it's still relatively easy and you enjoy it. So you'll learn something from it, you'll grow from it and you'll get that A pretty easily because you don't mind studying for it. So mm-hmm. I think that's a trap a lot of med students fall into is just, I need to take these classes because I need to get into medical school and then they kind of just ignore everything else that's going on. Um, mm-hmm. It's not it's not a narrow path, just kind of just pick, explore, ex- take, take the time during undergrad to explore what you like. I think that will go a long way in your career. Um, that was kind of a long winded way to explain it, but uh, maybe <laughs> no, that's that makes kind of sense and it kind of helps the people out. Yeah, yeah,
0: that, I think that definitely will. And uh, to all those listening, if you enjoyed this episode, please uh, subscribe, follow, share um, You know, this with anyone <clears throat> who might want to learn more about a medical student's journey throughout undergrad and now through med school. Um, and looking forward to uh, internal medicine. Uh, first of all, good luck with, the, uh, with all of that. And I'm sure uh, you know, we can maybe have a conversation uh, maybe you know, a few months later or a year later and look back to see uh, the changes in our lives. Uh, thank you to all of you who made it to the end and uh, I wish you all good luck. Thanks, Ali.
1: Yeah, no problem. Thank you so much for having me on here. It was, it was a pleasure. I'm definitely down if you want to do this in another year and see how things change.
0: <laughs> definitely.